We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to Fantasy Football Report. We have a special episode for you today. Hassan and I joined Pat Corrine and Peter Overzet on Ship Chasing to discuss the FFPC Playoff Challenge. Um, kind of went through ownership projections, high-level roster construction strategy. Uh, it's a long discussion, but well worth the time to listen if you're going to be entering this contest. One of our favorite contests that the FFPC puts on every year for the playoffs. So yeah, without further ado, enjoy. All right, folks, welcome to perhaps the final episode of Ship Chasing this year, unless one of us wins the FFPC Playoff Challenge, in which case I'm sure we will find a way to get back on the mic and gloat. I am joined right now by Pat Corrine, of course, as well as our Rotoviz buddies that you guys know and well by this point. Uh, no one well, no one love Hassan Rahim, Blair Andrews, and we are going to dig into the FFC playoff challenge today. Pat and I have been talking about this contest ever since we started getting involved with the FFPC, and it's become one of our favorite things to dive into. And right off the top, I will also plug Pat did uh, a mega deep dive on Rotoviz today going through his full chalk uh, and pivots ownership projections for each and every single team. It, I promise you, I promise you, it's the best thing you will read uh, about this FFPC playoff challenge because I've been consuming most of it and nothing holds a candle to it. So Pat, after penning your Mona Lisa, how are you feeling about the contest this year? I'm feeling really good about the contest. I love this contest. This is just like it lights a fire in me. I, I I love projecting the ownership. I think it's such a fun contest. If you're not familiar with it, I'm just, I'll just run through really quickly. Uh, this is a playoff contest where you pick a lineup that then runs through the entire playoffs. You can't adjust it. 
and you pick the classic FFPC roster, two quarterbacks, two wide receivers, one tight end, two flex with the with a uh, quarterback, kicker and defense, tight end premium. Well, there's 12 playoff teams. You only pick 10 roster spots. So right off the bat, you have to pick two teams you're not going to pick any players from. You also have to pick two teams you're going to pick kicker and defense from. So you're kind of soft fading those teams. Not great for you if they, you know, let's say go to the Super Bowl. The only other twist here is that the Super Bowl is worth double points. So you don't necessarily want to fade the teams with bye weeks, even though they potentially play one less game because they have usually a better chance of making the Super Bowl. So that's the contest. And then because it's a big enough field where you have to worry about there being duplicate entries and just certain players ended up being massively owned, like Todd Gurley two years ago was like 88% owned in this contest. You generally don't want to be on that chalk unless, you know, it's going to smash. Um, so ownership is a big, big thing here. We're going to talk a lot about ownership in this podcast, but I also got it into it in the article as well. Yeah, and I, I I think one of the maybe the best ways I would describe it is it's almost kind of like playing a DFS showdown slate where the pool is more narrow and limited and you're going to have to eat some chalk, uh, but you also are going to have to get really unique at some spots to make sure you don't have a duped lineup. Uh, Hassan and Raheem, uh, why, why can't I talk today? Hassan and Blair, uh, what are your guys' overview uh, of the contest? What are the main things you guys are thinking about as we start to build some teams? Uh, yeah, I think that's exactly right, everything Pat said. And I, I would agree with the sort of uh, showdown analogy in part because I think when I'm approaching this sort of contest and when I'm approaching a showdown slate, I'm kind of looking to see uh, where I can get some touchdowns so um, that's what I want to be chasing I think um, but we can obviously get more into that as we discuss the uh, nitty-gritty yeah really what's really exciting especially about this playoff pool is um, just the quality of players that are available like there's no like we've you can check out Pat's article and you can see the ownership projections and, and you know, we're, we're trying to be temperate and media, uh, trying to figure out what a median projection will be. But this isn't like last year where it was um, we had and I'm going to pull it up here because you've got this. It's just like Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley and like Alvin Kamara. And those were the only three good running backs, like maybe Melvin Gordon. But Zeke Elliott came in at what, 77 percent owned and you came in at like 77 percent owned. So like this is what we're talking about in terms of pivots like, like and why this playoff. Uh, bracket is far more exciting. There's a bunch of teams who have to play wildcard weekend who are just haven't been exciting at all. And, uh, you know, then, the, then there's a, you know, a, a team in the Patriots that completely flubbed um, home field, um, which now pushes the Chiefs into a question of, uh, can you play them if they're only going to play the one game or two games? Whereas before you could have expected two, maybe three, something like that. Like, so, you know, so this brings about like, uh, as Pat mentioned, just like, sort of like a, a fire because you really, there really are like a handful of like positions that you want to pivot sharply on. And if you're correct, you're really going to be making up a lot of ground in your competitors here, especially given uh, the size of these, uh, the tournament. Yep. 
So why don't we, for the format of this show, you know, we're going to go through Pat's article went team by team. You'll notice, and I'm sure we'll discover as we start talking, a lot of the team by team stuff intertwines with positional discussion because you can only play one from each team. And obviously for a lot of the positions, the onesies, you're only playing one as well. So I'm sure we'll overlap a little bit, but why don't we just hop into it? I think maybe the format we'll do, maybe toss over to Pat um, and give maybe just a quick rundown of who he thinks is going to be chalky uh, from the team. And then maybe we can throw out um, how we would approach the team and position. So let's start off right away with the Super Bowl favorite and one of the highest chalk guys we project in the contest, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, so the chalk here is going to be Lamar Jackson. This is the team that's most likely looking at, um, and in the article I, I did look at, the Vegas futures to make the Super Bowl. I also took a look at 538 and Football Outsiders DVOA. There's a few different um, methods here to determine who's going to make the Super Bowl because we want as many games as possible. Um, but Lamar Jackson is going to be the Ravens chalk. There's almost no question. I think he's one of the biggest decision points on the slate because we'll probably – I don't think we've ever seen – we've only been playing it uh, since like 2016. But I don't think that there's ever been a quarterback – who has been this chalky in the field. Uh, at first, my instinct was that he'd end up somewhere around like 43, 44%, but I think he will be over 50% owned the more I've looked at it. Um, I think he'll probably be like 54%. That's where I have it. You guys all did projections. Our average came in at 53%. So um, the, the hive mind here agrees that he'll be just over 50. And that's... Uh, that's a, a little bit of a tough spot to start out your lineup with a quarterback that chalky, but I think he provides some really unique scoring just because he has so much rushing and it's hard to access him via his other weapons. How do you guys feel on Lamar Jackson? Oh, also, I just want to, um, just because we are going to be talking a lot about ownership percentage and, and getting unique and pivot, I just want to say, so last year, the lineup that won, uh, its average ownership, I calculated it today, was just uh, under 34%. Uh, so that gives you kind of a, a baseline of how unique you have to be. And for reference, that lineup had a couple sub 10% plays, but then it had some massive chalk as well. It was kind of what we would call a barbelled and interestingly enough it had a one a qb who only played one game deshaun watson had that big wild card explosion where they lost so that's to give you a frame of reference in that just because a guy's chalky doesn't mean you automatically have to fade them it's finding the balance in knowing is your lineup unique enough uh but i will toss it over to Let's toss it over to Hassan because I've seen some dissenting uh, Lamar opinions from you. Make your case against Lamar Chalk, Hassan. Yeah, so this one's actually pretty easy, um, if only because – so you can go with Lamar. And again, this is uh, – you know, and, and I know Blair is a massive like Baltimore Ravens fan. but uh, So you know, keeping in mind that he is actually one of the more exciting you know, uh, quarterbacks in the NFL and realistically is probably the one that you want to either make a stand on and that you want to be – Depending on the number of teams you're playing, you want to either be overweight to field or underweight to field. I I think we have him projected as one of our jockeyest players, but our average projection is 53%. Pete, you and I have him at 58. Bat, you've got him at 54. Blair's got him at 43%. And I, and I do think that what the only reason you want to fade Lamar is because there's all that means is with that many lineups playing Lamar Jackson, they're not going to be playing Mark Ingram. They won't be playing Mark Andrews or Justin Tucker or the Baltimore Ravens defense. Again, um, 
so y- it forces you to go a certain way where if you're if you're going with a quarterback route so you're probably more likely going to run into a duped lineup here but also to to the ban- to, to the point that we were having um uh, you know pre-pod was it was just a matter of what patrick mahomes is ceiling also was last year and his points per game on a points per game basis in 2018 it was identical to lamar jackson's uh, 2019, like on a, on a points per game basis. If you go check out the fantasy uh, stat explorer, and if you get and in, if you adjust for uh, week 17, where the the Chiefs got uh, Mahomes at the touchdown record, like because it was a you know not really a great game, his on, on on a points per game basis, he's pretty much in line with what Lamar Jackson did in 2019. It's just a matter of like having that short term memory where we kind of forget these things. What makes Mahomes interesting to me is that he differentiates you i had him at 15 percent, but i went back and i uh dropped his ownership a little bit because i was a little bit too bearish on 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 breeze but you probably want a mahomes lineup if only because you want access to not duping with kelsey and hill who are the two popular players on the slate but you also get access to demarcus robinson you get access to michael hardman two very i mean well michael's a, a very exciting young wide receiver and and demarcus robinson proved himself to be a pretty solid uh wide receiver three option then on top of that you've got you know the running backs who can catch passes in, in leshawn mccoy and damian williams and and so that's where my argument here would go also do you not see like so and this is going to be more of a matchup based thing but Assuming one of Seattle or the Eagles go through and they'll be playing Baltimore, which of Kansas City? I mean, like you would assume Kansas City, New England should Wait, be. Sorry, Seattle or the Eagles. Wouldn't. Sorry, Seattle or the Eagles. Like it's like I. Sorry about that, guys. There are two teams who just were fantasy cancer. So I just. But they're in the NFC. You you don't mean oh. in the playoffs. You're saying. Oh, sorry. Baltimore thinking, would play either Tennessee or Houston or um, Buffalo. Yeah, sorry. That's what I meant. I'm thinking about the other game. Uh, Hassan uh, blacked out while thinking about all these uh, <laughs> Robinson touchdowns. He was just, oh god! Yeah. So oh god! Yeah, like uh, yeah, I, I I did for the for, for a second. I was just like had visions of it. Anyway, but the like I would see Kansas City, New England be more of a shootout than uh, Baltimore taking on uh, one of the Bills. Or the Texans, right? Like well, they smashed the Texans. I mean, Lamar had to be taken out of the game. Yeah, uh, I mean, but they, they, so they did I, that to a lot of teams. So here's but they, my, but they did it to the Texans. <laughs> they could do it again. Not, let's not get two of the weeds on matchups, just because there's so much more interesting. Right. I think macro roster construction stuff. So my issue with Mahomes is you have to thread the needle of him outscoring Lamar Jackson, outscoring Travis Kelsey, outscoring. Tyreek Hill outscoring Damian Williams and then even there there's not too much leverage to be had because the huge thing about fading Lamar Jackson is I really don't I think if you fade Lamar you basically have to punt them off with kicker or defense because in what scenarios are is Mark Andrews or Mark Ingram or even Marquise Brown absolutely smashing without Lamar Jackson smashing as well so that all of these avenues are just pointing me toward I not wanting to fade Lamar and just not seeing much leverage with Mahomes. I think you can make a case for a couple other quarterbacks who could greatly outscore their skill position players on their team. But to me, Mahomes is not checking any of those boxes. Uh, so I have a quick question for you. So what what do you think was Mahomes' points per game? 
for the first 16 weeks of 2019. Tell me. It was uh, 25. Kelsey's okay. was 19. Okay. Yeah, so I, I'm just saying that Mahomes is one of the guys who, because he has been running a little bit more since that knee, like despite that knee injury, but, he's but, one of the guys who who does outscore his players. But because by he's six not just about not leverage. Yeah, so. it's not just about him purely outscoring. It's that you're losing Kelsey and then you're replacing Kelsey with a Mark Andrews who doesn't score like Kelsey, you know, for example. So you lose access to ceiling at those other positions. Uh, or you go with Mark Ingram and you play Kittle. But yeah, this is more team construction. Sure, sure. But yeah, I think Mark Ingram, if Mark Ingram was healthy, I think he would be kind of the obvious pivot off of Lamar because then you can play for like an early exit for the Ravens, not necessarily like a round one loss. Maybe they lose the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game and and Ingram runs hot with touchdowns. But given that his health is a real question mark and he could be in a bit of a committee, um, even if he, you know, he's he's generally good to go. I think that's a very risky pivot. I agree with Pete that probably the the smartest thing to do if you're fading Lamar is just to go with Tucker and then pray for an uh, you know a round one loss, huge upset or something. Mark Andrews, I think there is some argument there because uh, you do get the 1.5 PPR bonus and and Andrews has had like a big ceiling in. Uh, this season, he's had four 26-plus point outings in FFPC scoring. He's had a, another five games above 15 points. That's nine games this season above 15 points. So you could see, I think, Andrews in like a two-game sample outscoring Lamar um, if he runs really hot and Lamar runs cold. So it's it's doable, but I don't know. No, uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's really, I'm with you. It's, it's a very it's a very it's a very difficult needle to thread, as as Pete mentioned. But the other thing is like. There's a like it's it's one of the ones where like so Kansas City has been like uh, uh, becoming a fairly trendy pick to win it all right so uh, I mean like you get two X points uh, from him in the in, in the Super Bowl and if Lamar's not making that do you think Lamar outscores Mahomes in two games versus the three? But I'd rather have Lamar in two, and then Kelsey in the Super Bowl or Hill in the Super Bowl or well, even Damian Williams in the Super Bowl. Yeah, because yeah. I do. Yeah. I do think to your point, Hassan, I think most of us would agree over the course of their full duration in the playoffs, the quarterback's normally going to score the most, especially when we're talking about these elite options. But like in in Pat's example, can he outscore him in two games? And then you're still most likely to get a ceiling game from Kelsey or Hill in, I think, in a one-off sample. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I agree with you, but it's just sort of food for thought because as, as far as I go, if I was to make rankings here, those two guys are just head and shoulders above like the rest of the field, if you know what I mean. Uh, Blair, what are your thoughts on Lamar uh, in a possible fade? Are you lock buttoning? I'm pretty close to lock buttoning. I mean, I have him projected for actually lower ownership than any of you guys at below 50%. Um, but I mean, I can see a potential case to be made for Mark Andrews, maybe. Um, you know, it's. I guess it's unlikely that Lamar Jackson is throwing a lot of touchdowns and Mark Andrews isn't catching one. Um, yeah, like you said, 426-plus point outings. Uh, so, I mean, if you're going to pivot, I think that 
that Mark Andrews is the way to go. He has the best chance of scoring in this format. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's thin. Yeah, I will just... I will say to anyone who pivots to Mark Andrews and you're watching the Ravens and rooting for them to win and, and Lamar Jackson not to crush, but for Mark Andrews to crush, just Godspeed. I, my prayers are with you. And I will say this about fading Lamar. Like, I'm, I don't want to fade Lamar, and I think I can get unique with my roster and other spots. But mm-hmm. if you're listening to this year, like, I want to play Derrick Henry. I want to play Aaron Jones. I want to play DeAndre Hopkins. I want to play George Kittle. I want to play Michael Thomas. Yeah, you might want to fade Lamar if you're playing in all the rest of the chalk. I'm just going to get unique at other places, and I'm going to, you know, quote-unquote, play the best plays with Lamar. That's actually a, a, a really, really good point, if only because – I agree with you 100%. Like, like that's, like, the way to go. Like, I would say, like, again, and this comes down to, like, how you want to build a portfolio of teams is you want to either match the field. Well, we could just lock button Lamar on, on all our rosters and just be done with it, right? And then just, think, like, pivot around the rest. I think there's a case to be made for rostering some other quarterbacks. That's the best reason to fade Lamar is that you want access to other quarterbacks who uh, are intriguing. And in that case, maybe the play is uh, Justin Tucker or Baltimore defense. Yeah, I mean, like the only play like, I on, genuinely see betting is betting on the Ravens losing in the first game. Oh, that's not gonna. Happen. Oh no. God, how is that gonna happen? <laughs> um, okay, let's um, let's move on. I think we've talked, and I'm sure we'll circle back to Lamar as we talk about some of these other quarterback situations and see if anyone can unseat the uh, the Lamar chalk. Let's move on to the 49ers. Uh, Vegas odds, 56% chance uh, at. It, Pat, is that to win the Super Bowl or make the Super Bowl? Make the Super Bowl. It's all to make the Super Bowl. Make the Super Bowl. Who cares if they win? We just need to be there. Yep. Um, so, Pat, uh, fairly obvious chalk play here. Why don't you set the stage for the 49ers? Yeah, the big chalk play here is, is George Kittle. Um, basically, George Kittle gets you like all the points that Jimmy Garoppolo would get you. He was outscored by uh, 0.2 this season per game. Uh, by Garoppolo, uh, Kittle plays a very important position, the tight end position for the 1.5 PPR bonus in the FFPC. Uh, so he just you can you can lock that down. You don't have to worry about doing anything weird there. You get an elite guy. Um, he's going to have a hard time being outscored by any skill player on his offense, and he's probably going to outscore the quarterback. San Francisco is not really a team who you're going to want to fade i wouldn't think um certainly that would be contrarian but they have uh you know over 50 percent chance to make the super bowl very strong chance uh 70 chance of playing in two games both those games would be at home so i think kittle's set up really nicely that's obviously going to make him high owned i don't think he's going to end up being like crazy crazy mega chalk though like 80 plus percent I have him down closer to uh, 50. I have him between 50 and 55. Um, 53 is where I had him. And you guys agree. We have him as an average of 50. So to me, that's not like so chalky that I need to be fading him just just because he's too chalky. And man, is it comfortable to have Kittle in there. So that's kind of where we're starting with San Francisco. 
Yeah, you know, on first blush, it's like, how do you fade him? I have found when I've started from a roster construction standpoint, we're going to talk about this later as we get more in the weeds with how gross this running back slate is, and especially not loving the running back chalk that I'm, and because I'm not fading Lamar, I'm finding myself having to make some tough pivots um, to get uh, some unique running backs in. So Moster is definitely a guy I've been looking at uh pivoting off of and I also am very intrigued by Debo Samuel and or Emmanuel Sanders who most projections have you know projected for a similar amount of points just looking for a, a not crazy you know leverage spot and again to reference the lineup that won last year I thought one thing that was kind of instructive about it was it had Brandon Cooks who I think was the perceived third option on the on the Rams after Gurley and Cup, and maybe even the fourth if you include Woods. And then he also had Damian Williams, who was obviously, you know, the third or fourth option after Mahomes and and all of those guys. So the lesson takeaway for me is what are the kind of high powered offenses that we think could make a deep run, but the distribution is spread out so much that someone is being overvalued in the offense. And when I look at San Francisco, Kittle over the season has been the most dominant for sure, but we've seen these spiked week games from Sanders, from Debo, from Moster. So the 49ers for me right now are becoming one of the key spots I'm interested in a galaxy brain pivot. Hassan and Blair, am I crazy for wanting to get off a Kittle here? No. <laughs> yeah, it's actually a genius play. I don't think that's crazy. I think for all the reasons you said, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, um, the one thing that has me kind of worried about moving off Kittle is that it it's really hard to predict where the points are going to be scored on this team. Uh, you know, Mostert got uh, has had some big games, but uh, you know, we've seen uh, them work in Tevin Coleman and Matt Breida in games we didn't expect it or most dare even we didn't expect him to uh to get the you know the work when when he came on at the end of the season so uh that's I guess my only kind of hesitation with a lot of these San Francisco guys is that there's a little bit more uncertainty with them but maybe that's something that is worth taking advantage of yeah I think if Kittle comes in if he ends up being more like 75% owned or something, which I think is in play, uh, then it would have been really wise to get off of him. Uh, but to that point, trying to figure out where else the San Francisco points are going to come from. And, and Garoppolo is not really in play for me. Um, so you can't just you can't just throw him in and get a bunch of them. And then Mostert, I think, is in play. But, God, he's risky. You know, it's all been touchdowns. It's all been touchdowns. If he doesn't get touchdowns, He's 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 getting like 15 touches, you know, he, his line could be like 60 rushing yards and two receptions for 10 yards and you're screwed. You know, like that's just a tough he's a tough play where Kittle is, you know, he's just he's so comfortable. So that's my concern with him is the ownership. You guys don't have him projected that high. So and and I don't have him. Like I said, I have him at 53. That's not enough to scare me off. It's enough to make me want to not lock button him. For sure. Yeah. But I don't want to not play him either. 
and that's the same thing for me where I'm at. The ownership isn't scaring me off him at all. He checks almost all those boxes as far as, you know, being able to outscore, you know, the rest of his teammates and, and all of that. It's it's just a roster construction stuff as we start talking about all of these highly projected owned running backs that I really dislike. And I'm looking at the pool like I have to play some running backs eventually. <laughs> and I've been finding myself gravitating to a Damien off of Kelsey pivot or a Mostert off a Kittle pivot just out of pure roster construction necessity. So mm -hmm. I don't love it. Um, I still obviously prefer Kittle in a vacuum. But, yeah, we'll have to talk through some more raw specific roster construction at the end. But mm -hmm. I will just float that that this might be a spot I'm willing to deviate from the chalk. Uh, any other thoughts on, uh, Pat mentioned Debo Samuel as the galaxy brain. I was listening to the high stakes low down and the guy, I'm forgetting his name, I apologize. He also was on Debo Samuel as the galaxy brain pivot. Uh, what do you guys think about him? I really like that as a pivot, and um, I'm really hoping he comes in at the ownership that I've gotten projected for. The guy who you guys aren't projecting as highly as me is Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, I feel like um, Sanders had a pretty solid game on uh, that island game. Was that a 45-point performance? Was that week 15? I think so. Uh, mm -hmm. Where uh, I think a lot of people will probably be like, oh, yeah, this is a guy who could potentially do that, especially if they see the San Fran getting like three games. I'm not of the belief that he will. I think I would much rather play Debo because they use Debo more to the Swiss Army knife. And, you know, he, he gets a handful of rushing attempts to that and Pat. Um, uh, you, you mentioned Raheem Mostert gets like about 15 touches. It's a little bit less than that. Uh, he's more on the uh, 10 to 13 touches yeah. more so. I, I <laughs> overshot it in my pessimistic <laughs> case. Right. And he's just been like racking up like ridiculous fantasy points over expectation. And that's, uh, you know, to be expected for a guy who gets touchdowns. The one thing that I, I spent a lot of time earlier today trying to figure out was did Matt Breida, like, did it just cut him? And like, no one, no one said anything because like in, in week 15, he didn't play. He was active, but he didn't play. But uh, uh, then he was uh, went out and I'm trying to check his game logs here in the road of his stat explorer. And uh, he, he, sorry, he, he played week 10, week 14, week 15, didn't get a touch in week 16. And then saw a little bit of work in week 17. He saw like five touches. Devin Coleman sees about seven. I think Debo gets like three. And the rest go to Mustard. And like since the, the, the San Francisco um, coaching staff is is, is pretty hell-bent on running a, a gross RBBC hot-end approach type thing, like do you think Matt Breida might be a guy who could be supremely just grossly under owned and like break the state at like a 2% ownership? I don't think I personally I don't have any interest in Breda, but I think it's a good point just to illustrate the fact that like if you roster Mostert, we're talking about potentially, you know, projecting out touches four weeks from now if they make the Super Bowl. And it has been really hard to figure out what they're doing in that backfield. So I, you know, it's like right now, as we sit here today, it feels like fairly logical that Mostert is going to be the lead back. Uh, when they come off their bye. But, man, I mean, after another couple games have been played, you know, it could be Breed as the lead back in the Super Bowl or it could be Tevin Coleman as the lead back. It's really hard. It just makes it harder to swallow going with Mostert to me. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think that's a good point. It's fair. I also think it it also makes him a great play because it's that uncertainty that, and we have seen the 49ers really want to commit to the ground game. And, you know, in this contest, and again, I think another point we should make, this 
contest, and we haven't talked about the payoff structure, it is massively top heavy. If you aren't building your lineups uh, with getting first placed in mind, like if you're trying to quote unquote min cash this, you're doing it wrong and you're losing money in the long run. So I do really think you need to find a couple places to get unique. You don't have to get crazy, but finding a few of these situations that other people are going to find uncomfortable, I think you're going to need one, maybe two of those in your lineup to win. Yeah, one one quick note. You mentioned Brandy Cooks before as being in the winning lineup last year. Um, he came in at five percent owned, and that was actually with uh, Cup hurt. He he tore he had torn his ACL. Oh, jeez, I had oh, forgot about that. Yeah. So with these teams where you have a big chalky guy, and then um, a secondary option. So like last year it was Gurley came in at sixty six percent, then Robert Woods actually came in at fifteen percent. That doesn't leave much ownership left for anyone else. So Cooks came in at five. Greg Zerline came in at four. So you're getting, you know, these like, and I think it'll break down somewhat similarly on San Francisco this year. We'll have Kelsey come in as like a clear chalk play. You'll have Mostert, I think, come in above that 15% that Robert Woods came in. He'll be more like 20, I think. And then you're not going to have a ton of room for anyone else, particularly because Sanders and Debo are going to cannibalize each other in terms of ownership. So both of those, I think, are pretty strong plays down at around 5%, maybe even lower for one of them. You'll kind of have to guess right there. But I bet one of them comes in at below 5%, one of them maybe slightly above. Uh, I think Sanders might even be the more contrarian play. But yeah. don't don't uh, forget about those guys. Is is really nice dart throws. Yep. Those were the those three uh, those two wide receivers were the ones that have kind of been screaming at me. It is it is hard from a roster construction standpoint, but I I think they are very good dart throws. Let's move on to the Kansas City Chiefs. Vegas odds 33% chance to make the Super Bowl. Uh, probably the most loaded uh, position group in the contest. Pat set the table. This one's interesting because the chalk I don't think is as clear on the Chiefs. Uh, at first, I was thinking it might be Tyreek Hill, um, but I think it may be Kelsey after all, partly because um, people may be you know, wanting to get a little unique and one way, if, if Kittle's looking like massive chalk to people, you can just move over to Kelsey who outscored him. That's, that's pretty nice. Uh, the other thing is that Kelsey outscored Tyreek Hill this year um, and he finished stronger. So Kelsey had three 23-plus point outings his last four games. He outscored Hill by over three points on the season. Um, given that it's FFPC, I don't think people will shy away from playing Kittle and Kelsey, one in the flex. Uh, so that should keep his ownership up. I don't think people will say, I need to only get one of these guys in, since they're both such strong scorers. Um, and then the other guy will be super chalky as well. So I, I have Kittle at 30, I, I have um, Kelsey at 36% and Hill at 30 right now. Well, I feel like we we talked about the Mahomes situation for a while. Blair, how are you teasing out Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and Damian Williams here? Uh, yeah, I'm expecting Kelsey and Hill to uh, to draw most of the ownership away from Williams. I think even though he's coming off that big game, I think a lot of people probably still have question marks about this backfield, so um, most people will be hesitant to play Damian Williams, which probably makes him, uh, you know, you're looking for running back options who aren't these 
you know, really chalky guys, Damian Williams might be one of the best, uh, one of the best options there, which, you know, probably means you're playing Lamar and Kittle, um, (laughs) at quarterback and tight end. So, or not Kittle. Yeah. Kittle. So, uh, gotta still look to be contrarian elsewhere, but I really like Damian Williams as a, as sort of a pivot off of these chalky guys. Yeah, he was in that winning lineup last year, and I think the ownership sets up similarly for him again as being the fourth most popular guy mm-hmm. on the Chiefs. Uh, I've been going back and forth like Pat as well on you know Hill, Kelsey, who's going to be more popular. My my initial thought was people are going to feel more comfortable locking in Kittle at tight end, and I I know people who play in the FFPC a lot are very uh, well acquainted with the 1.5 premium, but I think that the double tight end still gives people just a teeny bit of pause, and I think the more casual people are just going to break ties and be like, I got Kittle at tight end, let's just jam Hill. So I still lean that Hill's going to be a little bit more owned, but I agree that the gap isn't going to be massive. I think I have the spread bigger than anyone. I have it at 43 Tyreek. And I'm definitely too low on on Kelsey at 23%. So I'd probably merge those a little closer. But I don't think you're going to – I think you can really pick your favorite in that you're not going to have really leverage and similar ceiling with both of those guys. Hassan, do you have any thoughts on on the skill position, guys? Um, not really outside of – like if you really want a Galaxy brain play, like Nicole Hardman, as we talked about <laughs> earlier, is, is absolutely um, a guy who could potentially – uh, break the slate like i mean like he's just a dude who came on like pretty pretty hot um outside of that i do think that uh, kelsey is going to be common i do think that the more duped lineups actually are going to be um the more the most common two tight end lineup uh, let's just say is going to have kelsey and kittle yeah lamar at quarterback so it's going to be lamar kelsey kittle and then um you know pick your poison yeah, and I and I probably am going to need to even come around on this more, especially when you look. So for reference, Paulson, he doesn't have the FFPC scoring for his top 100 for the entire playoffs, but it doesn't matter. He has Kelsey ahead of Tyreek Hill just in straight PPR points, much less 1.5. So if you were to build an optimal off of you know your favorite projections the four for four whatever it's going to lead you to having both kittle and kelsey in your lineup so i do think i'm a, i'm wrong on my spread and that it will end up being very close pat any final words on kc no i think you know maybe if if kelsey's being held down by hill but he's projected to outscore him then there could be arguments to be made to just play kelsey and not kittle um, which gets you off of, you know, probably over half the field. I think almost definitely over half the field on Kittle. Um, so that's kind of an interesting pivot that still gets to the elite tight end. Yeah. Let's move on to the Saints. Vegas odds 27% uh, to make the Super Bowl. Our first team that is playing in the wild card round. Obviously attractive if you think you can get uh, three, maybe even four games from them. Uh interesting decision point here between their two studs pat where are you leaning yeah so this is this was tough for me i'm still kind of wrestling with with how this breaks out between michael thomas and alvin Kamara. um camara's been uh you know last year the people had this exact same decision point and they sided with Kamara. he was over 50 percent owned um and thomas was just under 30 percent owned but it's been a bit of a different season this year, and I think Thomas will be the higher owned of the two after giving it some thought. I currently have him at 
Camara at 34%. So both are going to be really highly owned. Um, but I think that ultimately Thomas will be the chalk. He's just going to project so well. He had such a strong season. But you've mentioned a few times, Pete, that running back is pretty gross in this field. And I could see Camara being more owned than I'm thinking as people look around at their other options. You've got, we'll get to them, but you know, it's Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry are two big guys people are going to have to make decisions about that are under, that are road underdogs. So that's a little bit tough to build your team around. Uh, we're also about to get to Aaron Jones. We'll talk a lot about he's going to be a chalky guy to some extent for sure. And then, uh, you know, Kamara is that other potential stud who gets, uh, as you said, the potential for another game. So the the lineup construction part of this, the need for stud running backs, I think could push Kamara up. I, I would say he probably is upside as high as like 50% ownership if people just decide they can't build their lineups without their stud running backs. Yeah, I'll just give my two cents here. Uh, this is another situation for me where I'm going to just play the best plays, not overthink it. I mean, Paulson has Michael Thomas as the highest scoring player. Sorry, Lamar Jackson. He has, or, or actually, they're really close. He has Lamar Jackson 63.2 total points, Michael Thomas 61.5, which is uh, over 20 points more than Alvin Kamara projected. And for me, when I think about Alvin Kamara still splitting some work with Latavius Murray, uh, I think he's going to be slightly overowned relative to his flurry of touchdowns at the end of the season. Uh, I'm not overthinking it. I'm playing Michael Thomas, getting that home dome game uh, as well, where he just absolutely smashes Hassan uh, and Blair. I think you guys are a little more open to Kamara than I am, though. Well, would you have the same feeling about Michael Thomas if his ownership came in at like 70% and Kamara was down at like 20%? No. I think that that's would... something that, I mean, I have the spread between their ownership looks like larger than any of us but i think that i might not even be aggressive enough with thomas's ownership i think uh you know it might be kind of uh, not the most likely outcome but within the range of outcomes that we see him get up you know above 60 percent ownership we saw deandre hopkins come in at 75 percent last last season and i right. think that that's gonna gonna pretty much be where michael thomas could potentially come in at See, I think I side with Pat that, I mean, once you start building these teams, the running back is just so gross that I don't think Thomas will command, you know, more than 55, 60 at the most. Yeah, no one was no one was dying to play Lamar Miller last year. So <laughs> you've got Kamara's a real option to build your team around at running back. I think that has to hold Thomas's ownership. I would say like maybe he has a ceiling of. 60 to 65 percent i mean i could i could see me being like pretty wrong on this I, again i'm at 41 and camara at 34 um but i also have some ownership over to breeze i could maybe see me being wrong about breeze and having him come in sub 10 which would push ownership to the skill players but um so there's ways that that thomas comes way up but camara is not going to be under 20 percent owned with this running back field uh Sorry, you were saying, Pete? I was just going to say, to me, the other thing is, you know, I referenced the big discrepancy just between the Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara projection that I would need the ownership to be as skewed as Blair kind of mentioned, like a 75-25 or obviously. That's the, probably what it should be. 
it's probably what it should be. I would need that to kind of flip me over to the more contrarian side to take that, you know, 22 plus point projection, you know, hit. And I just don't think it's going to be that big of a spread. So I'm going to, I'm just going to side with the more raw points. Yeah. No, I'm 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 with you entirely. Like I do think that like if you want to go Alvin Kamara, like I do think the common running backs in teams that will have Michael Thomas from a chalk perspective will be uh, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, and Aaron Jones, not Kamara. So it'll be a three running back team with the one running back in the flex. Yeah, yeah. Now Pat brings up an interesting idea in the article, and that is a pivot to Drew Brees, who. Um, obviously you know has a better chance to get to the super bowl than even um aaron Rodgers, who's who has a first round bye so you get the extra game from breeze um and then you also you know he obviously throws a lot to michael thomas but he throws touchdowns to you know josh hill Taysom hill traquan smith jared cook so it's not like you are exhausting all of Breeze's upside by playing Thomas. So I think there is, uh, you know, maybe a case if you're going to fade Lamar, pivoting to Drew Breeze and uh, getting access to the Saints offense that way. What do you guys think of that? I don't hate it, but I do like that you mentioned Jared Cook, who's been absolutely in fuego since like Breeze returned, returned to the lineup. Yeah, that was the Galaxy Brain play I had in the mm-hmm. article. Yeah, that five. was a really good point. Yeah, TDs in his last four, five TDs in the last four games, three over his last two. Uh, I do you think do now. Yeah, he doesn't catch a ton of balls, which concerns me. Like, if you're gonna, you know, go crazy at tight end, it'd be nice to get someone who gets a few more receptions, given that that's where the bonus is. Um, but yeah, I think Cook's definitely in play, and he's going to be super, super low owned. I have him at between one and two percent right now, so um, I like I like him. I, Drew Brees is interesting for that extra game. Um, and it also allows you to kind of construct like a weird, like the AFC goes weird, you know? So you could potentially play him with like a Derrick Henry lineup fading the Ravens. And then, uh, you know, you're betting on the other AFC teams since you're already fading the Ravens by going with Drew Brees, you could play for a Titans upset or something like that. So Brees unlocks the AFC in an interesting way um, as you're kind of, taking stands on on these games which you probably should be doing because like pete says it's a very top heavy payout structure so you kind of need to like be right when you're putting this lineup together yeah and again i just go back to that thing so we have breeze right now average at uh looks like 15 percent uh, you know, I was I was referencing Paulson's projections. I was looking at uh, Sean Corner's projections. You know, Michael Thomas is the only skill position player that um, is not only at the top, but is projected to outscore uh, his quarterback. And to me, again, so at 15 percent, you need to say 15 percent of the time, Drew Brees outscores Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. And that I just I can't get there. I just there's such an opportunity cost to fade Michael Thomas here and Lamar Jackson. You're, it's just I think you're underselling the chances that he outscores Mahomes and Jackson though because of the extra game. So with Breeze, true. Breeze is more interesting to me than Mahomes. And I, I, I full stop. He's more interesting to me than Mahomes because you get the extra game, and so the decision point is does he outscore Kamara and Michael Thomas? Um, I agree. Uh, with Paulson that you know it's it's he's an underdog to do that with Thomas but 
as we discussed, Thomas could end up being really chalky if people mm-hmm. decide that they can get there at running back without Kamara. Then we, you know, we could see him being maybe the second, maybe even the first highest stone player on the board. And that's why I think what becomes really interesting to me because if Michael Thomas gets that chalky, which I very much agree it's possible, people are going to, in my opinion, have to make some very bad negative EV plays at running back. Aren't we going to be making some of those plays? (laughs) No, I mean, from an an ownership perspective, like egregious Mm -hmm. plays based on projected wins. And like, I mean, we can just we can start talking about that stuff. But like guys like Derek Henry and Aaron Jones, when you project um, their games and, you know, just their projected points, I just think they're egregious plays. Um, But you have to play them if if you're jamming all those other guys. You know what I mean? Let's move over to the Packers because I think, yeah, the, the Aaron Jones conversation really uh, is going to drive a lot of people's behavior here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Set the table for us. Uh, Green Bay Packers conveniently next on our list. 20% chance. They have that buy. But I believe, Pat, they're the lowest of the the teams with buys as far as their odds to make the, the Super Bowl. They are, yeah. The current, based on the futures, they only have a 20% chance. Um, and so you really only have you don't have a strong chance of them even playing two games. Um, I was looking at some numbers and they might be a team that gets underfaded mm. uh, in the sense that I think a lot of, a lot of people will own at least one Packers non kicker defense. And uh, yet they don't have a great chance to move on after the first game. So they're kind of someone that you should keep in mind. Maybe a bonus galaxy brain play that I didn't include in the article would just be to fade them outright. Um, but the chalk play here is Aaron Jones. And this is one that I think I'm in a bit of disagreement with you guys on in that I think he's going to be like the chalk because of everything we just talked about, how hard it is to build teams around the running back. And Jones, he was the RB2 this season. He's got a massive ceiling. Um, You have to fade Devontae Adams, but you kind of have this pivot point where you're saying do i fade Devonte adams and take eric jones aaron jones or do i fade michael thomas and take alvin kamara and i think a lot of people are going to pick fading uh Devontae adams and getting on aaron jones so they can get michael thomas in there in scenarios where michael thomas ends up being like 65 percent owned aaron jones is probably like 75 percent owned maybe even 80 percent owned because it's it's impossible to get you know if all these thomas lineups a ton of them are going to have aaron jones Otherwise, they're just going to feel way too weak at running back. So what happens with Aaron Jones is going to really drive a lot of this contest, in my opinion. And it creates this massive pivot opportunity with Devontae Adams, who I currently have at just 17% ownership. Uh, To give you guys like a little bit of a reminder from last year, Amari Cooper came in last year at 6% ownership when uh, Ezekiel Elliott was the massive chalk. Uh, it It was chalk that that hit it was in the winning lineup, but he was 77% of the field was on Ezekiel Elliott. So I think we could see something pretty similar. I have Aaron Jones and it's 71% projected and Devonte Adams down at 17%. I think you guys feel that it'll be a bit tighter. Yeah, but I think I, I will, I will say uh, I did my ownership projections before I stopped building teams. I made 10 dummy teams today and I am more inclined to agree with your ownership now once I've realized how absurdly gross running back is. Um, I'm going to pass this off to Blair and Hassan. I will just say 
you know, going into today, I was a full fade Aaron Jones and 100% jam Devontae Adams. But Pat has me very intrigued at going back and adding in some Green Bay fades. And I think that's definitely something I'm going to do. Blair, I know you and a couple of your dummy teams that you put into our spreadsheet, you had Aaron Jones. So why don't you make the case for eating the Aaron Jones chalk? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm the lowest on... Aaron Jones in terms of our projected ownership I just uh I was thinking um Adams would pull some ownership away I also thought the fact that Green Bay has a buy and you know uh that might pull some ownership to Aaron Rodgers from people trying to uh get a quarterback in the in the Super Bowl I don't know how strong that will be but um yeah I mean he Aaron Jones ended up in a lot of these dummy lineups that I put in the spreadsheet. And I think part of the reason is kind of what you you guys uh, mentioned, just how gross running back is. Um, I mean, I did have him in one lineup with Alvin Kamara. So it is, you know, possible that uh, people will not even, you know, not play Aaron Jones in order to play Michael Thomas, I guess. Um, but yeah. But that only is going to bump him up more. <laughs> you can play him, you can play both the studs. <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, as you've been talking about it, and as I've been building lineups, kind of like you said, Pete, I'm thinking uh, the higher ownership might be right. Um, yeah, I mean, one of these lineups, I also put in a uh, uh, Jamal Williams lineup. Um, yeah, you crazy for that. <laughs> latest reports are he's gonna he's gonna be good to go in their round one game and we he's been in a lot of games this year he's been sort of their pass catching running back and has been uh you know they've been using him in interesting ways so um you know at one percent ownership or something i don't know see maybe it's Pat- too crazy in Pat's article, he has chalk, pivot, galaxy brain. So for Packers, it's Aaron Rodgers. Then we need one that says Blair brain. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth level. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I I think that's uh, – actually, I just can't sign off on that in any way. I was going to try to say something, so I can't. Hassan, what are your thoughts on the Packers? So, like, if we're in consensus that, like, Aaron, Aaron Jones slash Michael Thomas is um, – the chalk, right? Yeah. Then um, Aaron uh, Michael Thomas plus Devonte Adams is probably more unique. Like, how duped is that? Like that combo. And I think ideally, like, so the market's giving absolutely zero respect to the Green Bay Packers as, as like potential winners in this conf- uh, in this game, despite the fact that the Saints have to actually travel outdoors to Green Bay to play to, uh, to, to play against Green Bay. Now, now we all know Green Bay looks really poor, but we also know Breeze is not exactly great on the road, right? So I think ideally you want to pick a skilled player from Green Bay because the winner of that probably sets up pretty nicely. And I think that that's... So I think that if we're going with Michael Thomas and you still want a chalk pivot, I think that the chalk pivot there would probably be um, uh, the dude in uh, Devontae Adams and... It's really weird, right? Like, uh, like uh, Aaron Jones, like he really did kind of smash. And again, like, like I, I'm, I'm with you guys, like in, in that, just how gross his running back slate is. Like, people are just not going to feel comfortable in their RBs. But uh, we're four guys who pretty much looked at like all the running backs flying off the board in our FBG draft, and we were like, whatever. So this is like absolutely no fear for us, right? Yeah. I- <laughs> 
I'm not really making the argument that we need to hop on Aaron Jones because the slate's so bad. I think that he's just going to be massively owned, which, you know, I'm thinking, yeah. great, let's let's get on Devontae Adams. Or the Green Bay fade. This is like, yeah. I, I want to put some numbers to this. You mentioned that the market's not giving Green Bay respect. I think that's probably, I, I, I somewhat agree with that if you're talking about, like, the betting market. But if yeah. you're talking about the FFPC playoff challenge market, I think hmm. that Green Bay is going to be getting a ton of respect. In our, uh, This is our average ownership. I just looked at what we're projecting, how many teams we think will have a non-kicker defense rostered for Green Bay, 91.5%. Yeah. So no one's fading them is, is what our expectation is. And it's because Aaron Jones, he's going to be at some point – chalky as as heck i think more than you guys but you guys also think he's gonna be crazy chalky above 50 percent Devontae adams is not gonna go unowned and and as you said rogers is gonna hold a little bit he's gonna be a little bit enticing so the odds that green bay plays more than one game and for this i was looking at what 538 has um for their projection since they had the buy but they have them as a 50 as 53 percent chance to play more than one game so there's 38.5% difference here, um, like a, a delta, and that's the second biggest of, of any team. Tennessee is the only team that we think is going to have a bigger delta of, of how many players, how many owners have a skill position player rostered. So basically, Green Bay is like screaming out as a potential galaxy brain fade, and I think that, that pairs well with going with Michael Thomas chalk, and as we discussed, he can end up being really chalky. So if you go with a contrarian Green Bay fade, you know, the Saints have to go through Green Bay. So uh, I think that's kind of an interesting lineup construction starter. Yeah, I think that's really the decision point for me now because I, I was never going to play Aaron Jones. And now is the question of do I want to mix in more fade teams? Just real quick, Pat, what would be your thought on punting off, not the fade, but punting them off, like, say, with a defense spot? Yeah, no, I think that when I say fade, you I, mean, I mean soft I, you could do a soft fade or a hard yeah. fade. Yeah, yeah, because I I have a lock button defensive play we haven't talked about yet, and I kind of like the idea of sprinkling in some Packers there as my soft fade. Um, all right, let's move on to the Patriots, who I think might be one of the most interesting teams from an ownership perspective just because I don't think the market in basically any uh, real football sports betting DFS, I don't think people know what to do with the Patriots right now. Sentiment seems all over the board, only 11% chance to make the Super Bowl. Pat set the table for the FFPC contest. Yeah, I think that I don't think they're going to be someone that people are dying to play a lot of. Um, last year, Edelman was the play. He he was the highest scoring player in the tournament. Uh, he was obviously in the winning lineup. Um, he was he was kind of the guy to have owned. Um, and I think he probably would be if he wasn't fighting all these nagging injuries. I think he, he maybe could still be um, the kind of clear New England play if uh, reports tomorrow are, are really bullish. But um, I have a hard time seeing him being as high owned as it was last year. He was owned at 45% uh, last year. Um, and I think he'll be a fair amount lower uh, this year at 24% is my current projection. So this puts New England defense as my projected highest play. Uh, I have him up at 29%. I'm quite a bit higher than URP. You, you have him down at 16%. So curious to get your thoughts on that. But 
Um, I think New England is going to be a pretty uh, interesting team overall because Edelman's not as clear-cut of a, of a lock play as he has been. And overall, going to this whole fade thing that we talked about with Green Bay, New England jumps out as kind of the team that people are probably over-fading. I only have a little less than half the field, just over 49% of the field, rostering a New England skill player but they're given a 69% chance of playing more than one game. So people are probably going to you know, be in round two with New England defense. And if you can get Edelman or James White or maybe even get a little crazy and throw Nikhil Harry in there, um, something like that, any other skill players, then you're going to have a, a real advantage in round two if they do advance. Yeah, that's basically how I've been approaching them uh, it, with what Pat said of the market being a little too overconfident with the fade. There's just so much you know, positive enthusiasm around the Titans right now. I think Derrick Henry is going to be one of our highest owned guys on this contest. People like A.J. Brown as well. Uh, so to me, playing a Pat skill position player uh, is really good leverage. I've been uh, messing around a lot of my optimal builds and a lot of my dummy builds have James White in them to the point where I felt so uncomfortable with how much James White I had, but it also speaks to how gross the running back slate is. And I will also say I then later read all the reports about optimism about Edelman's health, which because he's not going to be majorly chalky, uh, I'm definitely interested in him. And it also goes back to why a Green Bay fade is interesting because it opens up some more wide receiver slots if you're not jamming in Adams. Uh, Blair and Hassan, where are you guys at with the Patriots? Yeah, uh, I agree with everything that's been said. I think um, getting some skill position players from the Patriots into some lineups is a good idea. And for most of the teams I've made, it's been, at least the ones that are on this in the spreadsheet, it's Edelman. Although in almost every case, I had another Patriots name in there. Like he's in the flex spot. And either I had Sony Michelle in there or I had James White in there and ended up switching it to Edelman because I felt that the lineup overall was contrarian enough without needing to to put in a, a Sony Michelle or something. I mean, playing Edelman instead of um instead of a running back is not something I really love because I think that if the Patriots are going to be winning these games, they're going to be, you know, giving it to backs at the goal line a lot and trying to um keep the ball away from the opposing offense if they're playing against somebody who, you know, can put up points. So um, for those reasons, somebody like Sony Michelle is kind of interesting, but it's just so hard to, to trust him. Yeah, and I mean, this is, granted, there isn't a huge leverage spot here because no one's going to be massively over-owned. I do think the Patriots fit that bill of a team where you could, you know, realistically get contrarian because they do spread the ball around and dictate their game plans differently. Uh, Hassan, where are you at? I really hope you say something like, you want to play Tom Brady so you get access to Matt Lacoste. <laughs> uh, that sounds that, that sounds uh, supremely good because you also get access to Ben Watson. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh. um, the, uh, well, for what it's worth, like Rex Burkhead has actually outtouched White in like the last three games. Like uh, it's not by a lot, about six touches, but he's also been stealing away like short yardage work from Sony Michel. So I think Michel's more of a non-starter mm. uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, like, uh, and then 
so that's where it really gets interesting. I do think that if if we're confident in stating that, um, and it's always dangerous to say that, but if we think that the Patriots beat the Titans and go on to play the Chiefs, it's going to have to be a shootout, which you know sounds like white. And the, and like if they have to make it to the Super Bowl, they're going to have to go through potentially the Ravens to get there. And so it's an, it's another team that they're going to have to get, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be in a negative script. Like, you know, like Pete, you're the, you're the resident, like, uh, boots on the, the ground. ground. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Do you have like, is there any, like, uh, you know, from grinding the tape, do you have any, like any, any, any suggestions? Cause I do think James White's probably the sharpest play in that he is pretty much the wide receiver too, given that um, this team came up very, very small. Uh, when um, when Brady needed them most in Week 17 against the Dolphins. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, again, everything comes back to me. Because ownership isn't a huge factor here, uh, it comes down to roster construction for me. And while I do prefer Edelman in a vacuum, I'm just struggling so bad at running back. And James White... Uh, if I can get two games out of him, you know, with a decent floor and then maybe spike a ceiling game in there, like that's almost all I'm asking for from my running backs at this point. So yeah, I'm going to have a decent amount of James White. Uh, I need to look at a few other things, but he's definitely where I'm leaning right now. Yeah. And a note on the ownership, I probably won't adjust these ownership projections I have at this point very, very much. I mean, we're going to start to lock in our entry soon, but one guy that I do think I'll be adjusting is Julian Edelman based on the reports that uh, lead up to game time um, because I think he could end up being more like 35%, which is 11% higher than I have now, and that would also take New England defense down. Um, I think people could move on to him if things start to look rosy there. So just keep that in mind that he does have a little bit more ownership upside. He could finish on the higher end than most of the guys that I have projected in kind of the 20 to 25 range. Yep. All right, let's move on to the Eagles. We're starting to get into some of these interesting situations with uh, the Eagles and Seahawks spread being so close. Uh, Vegas odds only 3% chance to make the Super Bowl for the Eagles. Tons of injury situations to monitor here. This is probably the most fluid situation uh, as far as skill position players that we're deciding on. Pat, what do you got for us with the Eagles? Yeah, the chalk will be the full fade. And um, I think this is a, a situation where you should try to fade the chalk here. <laughs> so you should try <laughs> to play some Eagles. Um, it doesn't feel good, uh, but I think it makes a lot of sense just numerically here because we looking at uh, their odds of playing more than one game, uh, five, three, eight gives them a 69% chance. So uh, that's like, pretty good and then there's probably only going to be like 30 percent of the field actually playing a, a skill player so um 69 seems high to me i don't know why 538 so bullish but uh even if let's say they have like a 45 percent chance of advancing at home against seattle that's still uh probably 15 percent higher than what we believe the amount of the field that rosters a skill player will be and that's coming not because I think that people just think the Eagles are going to lose round one, but it just sucks to roster Eagles this year. So mm-hmm. Dallas Goddard's the guy who you can kind of talk yourself into, but you don't need him. We just talked about how if you don't even go Kittle, you can get to Kelsey 
super easily, and he's not even going to be that chalky. If you're going to fade Lamar, you probably a lot of people end up with Mark Andrews. There's even crazy plays like Jared Cook. So you just don't really need Dallas Goddard. So who else is there? I guess Miles Sanders, or you know, you can bet against Miles Sanders uh, and go with Boston Scott. But neither of those plays feels good right now. And Sanders is someone that's uh, you're going to be locked into, I guess, on Saturday. So you're not even going to get to know how healthy he is on the day of the game. Uh, and then Boston Scott's really tough because let's say the Eagles do advance. If you pick a running back, you really want that running back to play more than one game. Uh, well, if he does play more than one game, in the case of Boston Scott, he might have a much reduced role two weeks from now, assuming Miles Sanders continues to get healthier and his role increases. So Scott is a really, really, really tough play. Not that he's going to be high owned or anything, but even as kind of a galaxy brain play, I think he's off the table for me. And then you're looking at potentially uh, playing a running back who's not fully healthy in Miles Sanders, which is a really thin thing to do in this in this tournament. So playing Eagles sucks. I could see <laughs> Dallas Goddard end up being a lot more chalky than I'm thinking because he's almost like the only option that people feel comfortable with. I currently have him at 19 percent. I could see him being closer to 30 if the Philly fade ends up being less popular than I'm thinking. Um, but, you know, I already have that at 39 percent. And Blair, you have it up at 45 percent. Son, you have the fade at 49%. So, you know, I'm actually on the lower end in terms of projecting how much people will fade the Eagles. If if you guys are right that they end up closer to a 50% fade, then Goddard's going to come down even below 19%. So Goddard ends up being really interesting to me, and I would really love some clarity on Miles Sanders because he's interesting if we could count on him. And one thing we're going to need to also consider updating with these projections is Zach Ertz was back at practice today. It was it was Miles Sanders who didn't practice, although he said he's not clear for contact, though, Zach Ertz. But but it's a good point. The same point that I just made about Boston Scott applies to Zach Ertz or applies to Dallas Goddard, rather, where if the Eagles do advance two weeks from now, Ertz could play and that would really hurt his projection. Also, Jordan Howard is back, I believe. Right. He is back. yeah. Yeah. He only played like what did I see like two snaps in that week 17 game against the Giants, which was pretty weird um for him being back and then not getting used at all but yeah he's definitely in the mix um what's interesting looking at these ownership for me in in my dummy builds i've been jamming philly defense uh which i like uh seeing our ownership percentage across the board at one percent but you know pat talking about how some of the best leverage might be a philly skill position player definitely wants has me reconsidering that i'm really hoping we could get some clarity on the running back situation. Even with Sanders looming, uh, if he was ruled out, I would feel pretty good about Boston Scott getting uh, basically a bell cow game and then also having a role even with Sanders potentially returning. But it is gross. I, where are you guys leaning uh, with these two running backs, two uh, two tight ends? One guy we haven't even mentioned a peep of that's been very solid uh, has been Greg Ward, too. I don't know if we want to toss his name into the mix. Yeah, I was just thinking about him but didn't bring him up because I have some other Blair Brain plays I want to bring up later. <laughs> got to save him. <laughs> Greg Ward, not enough Blair Brain. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, that's Don't interesting. Be. Like he may be the least gross and least risky player. Uh, I mean, unless you want to go Carson Wentz, but I mean that means fading Lamar. That's and... Vega Blair Brain. 
<laughs> and he's a Ravens fan. Uh, Hang on, Blair. Let me do this. Look, okay. we can play. We can play Carson Wentz, and that way you get access to Josh Perkins and Deontay Burnett. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, this is one of those things where I think we just have to really be reading the news reports closely the rest of the week. And I do think in some lineups, I'm going to want to take kind of a stand on one of the running backs, one of the tight ends, just as some, some one-offs just for that really juicy leverage that Pat described. But, uh, I think it's just something we're going to have to, to wait till, uh, till Saturday to know what to Someone- do. Someone make a case for Greg Ward, because I, I think that is really interesting, and I would expect him to be probably like 1% owned. Well, he's averaged like six targets a game over the past uh, five weeks, and if there is any uncertainty with these, I mean, they're just decimated at wide receiver, and then if only you know one of these tight ends is going, um, although I guess if both Goddard and Ertz go, but that seems unlikely, I guess you could say then that steals targets away from him, but he really feels like the last man standing and is from, from what I've heard, people think he's like a good player just from hashtag watching the tape. That's my case. (laughs) Yeah. He hasn't been, uh, he hasn't been great. Like you said, he's getting some targets, but he hasn't gone over looks like 71 yards yet he has one touchdown in the last um six weeks so it's not like he's been you know setting the league on fire or anything but he is somebody who is healthy and might be playing two games in the playoffs so um you know at basically no ownership so i think if you're playing him you're kind of banking on a touchdown um i don't know even playing him almost kind of feels like a soft fade (laughs) <laughs> it is it is it does feel a little bit like a soft fade but but, like but it's not because if he gets if they lose that sucks for you although i guess you're it's that's maybe like the the meanest way to say fade, fade greg ward <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was curious what are your thoughts is on uh jake elliott the kicker yeah the so soft soft fade but you know home team like i don't know so we let's see i want to just pull up pat's uh or all of our projections here. Just I had him at twenty-seven percent. Yeah, and I, yeah. I think we all agree that Jake Elliott and Jason Myers, the two kickers from this game, are going to command the most kicker ownership. And my kind of thing, because I just think their kicker is one of those spots where you just don't have to eat the chalk, uh, especially with the leverage that's setting up. And I, there's a couple other options I like a lot more. So I'm willing to let people play. Elliot and I'm more interested in defense at 1% ownership or, you know, trying to read the tea leaves and picking one of these skill position players. I think as we're going through this, that there's a pretty good chance that either Elliot or full Philadelphia fade ends up being even more owned than we're projecting. And you're going to really want either Miles Sanders or Boston Scott. And I think... Maybe you got to hold your nose and play one. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of leverage here in playing a Philly skill position player. That's my big takeaway on Philly is that it's good, it's really easy to take Jake Elliott or the full fade, even the defense. Like it's interesting, Pete, that you're jamming in the defense there because I bet they end up higher than one percent. I bet they're like they may be mm-hmm. more like a five percent, six percent play, which again we're kind of grouping those all in as fades. Um, and 
then you look at Seattle on the other side, playing DK Metcalf feels kind of fun. DK Metcalf <laughs> has a ceiling, you know, like that's that's a lineup I can get behind. You know, you, you can just kind of see the the long touchdown catch. Even a Tyler Lockett, um, he's been so inconsistent. He's burned some people, but you can see it. You can see how that's a, a league contest winning lineup and even russell wilson is a little bit intriguing as as like a contrarian galaxy brain lamar fade and i think hollister will also catch a a little bit of ownership so there's ways on the seattle side to to play the skill position play that feel good and uh then you're gonna want to do the some kind of fade on eagles on the other side to take a stand on that game so i agree i think we could actually be too low on how many uh you know full fades and soft fades we have here on the Eagles, which which makes the skill players potentially one of the best plays on the board. Yep, I uh, I agree. I definitely hope we get some more clarity on the position groups just so we can make better decisions, knowing that we're going to get good leverage on it almost regardless of of who emerges as a as a solid play. Let's move over to the Seahawks. Pat, the man with all the numbers, quoting DK Metcalf as a fun play. Seattle Seahawks, 5% Vegas odds. Uh, Pat, run us down the Seahawks setup here. Yeah, I think that this is also going to be a very chalky full fade. Um, We're going to have chalky uh, kicker here as well. So it's pretty similar situation in some ways to the Eagles. But I laid out just now, you know, the way I think it's different, which is that there are some guys here that that feel better to play. Um, And I think that factors in to some degree, like you're, looking at this lineup, trying to imagine it taking down a $500,000 grand prize contest, it's a lot easier to see DK Metcalf or Ty Lockett or, you know, one of these guys go off than, you know, just loading up all your shares on Dallas Goddard or hoping Miles Sanders is healthy or something like that. So Seattle is probably going to end up being a little bit over-owned where um, the Eagles are under-owned. I don't think that Seattle will be massively over-owned though i think there may be some people who play like jake elliott and the seattle defense (laughs) just punt this game entirely um which you should not do but i think some people will do it um but yeah so i don't think seattle's like necessarily someone that you have to like if you really really like one of the wide receiver plays um or if you want to get super crazy and play like travis home or something i wouldn't let uh kind of bullishness on Seattle talk me off that. But I would say that generally I think Philly will be a, a better leverage spot. Yeah, and I think your point, uh, and it's a good one, is that majority of people, this game is going to make them feel uncomfortable because the spread is so close and it's easier to take stands on other spots. Hey, I, I like New England. They're at home. They're favored. We're, let's just fade Tennessee. Whereas you go to this game and you're like, uh, uh, and it feels like, oh, I'll just hedge with my soft fades or or a full fade. But I think this offers a ton of leverage. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. You talked about Tyler Lockett as a pivot, Galaxy Brain, DK Metcalf. I personally prefer Lockett. I mean, outside of last week, he's been out-targeting DK Metcalf the past four weeks. That said, I they're kind of like the Emmanuel Sanders Debo for me at a little more higher ownership in that I kind of just want to split um, some ownership and have a bit of both of these guys because – we have seen the Eagles secondary just get torched week after week after week. Uh, and I definitely want a piece of it uh, with the Seahawks team. Can we talk about the guy on this team who's 
the most likely to get multiple rushing touchdowns. And it's gross, sure. and nobody's going to like it. But if Seattle is near the <laughs> goal on, line, on, you know who they're going to put wait. in the game. Wait, wait, Blair. What are we? This segment's sponsored by Blair Brain. <laughs> now you're good. Marshawn Lynch, of course. <laughs> it's, it's gross, and nobody's going to like it. I don't even like it. <laughs> That's such a Blair plays like, I hate myself for even saying that. <laughs> so they split carries last week Marshawn Lynch had 12 Travis Homer at 10 you know the big tipping point for me is Travis Homer week 16 eight targets week 17 five targets five catches zero targets for Marshawn Lynch but Blair's not talking about targets Blair the man who brought you Patrick Laird the thesis big the catches is now uh <laughs> not interested in targets he just wants those goal line uh now, now carries, by carries. yeah and before Laird there was Philip Lindsay it's true um yeah, yeah Marshawn I... Marshawn doesn't quite fit that mold but he's just someone who is gonna have no ownership and um I don't know you can see him you can see him having multiple touchdown games and um I mean yeah I'm not totally sold on it so part of this is kind of you know um talk me down but um uh... Well, I was I'm with you on Seattle running back uh, because I I've been again as I keep you know beating this dead horse with running back being so gross I'm like really reaching for some of these plays and <clears throat> I've been okay with Travis Homer uh, a sprinkling of him in lineups just because I love that that floor with the with the pass catching upside and he's looked pretty good but yeah I can't sign off on Lynch I'm sorry yeah um, why Lynch <laughs> over Homer. Uh, did you ever see that well, video of him saying run through a motherfucker's face? Come on! <laughs> well, it's just for it's the... the coolest thing about the Seattle team. They're an unlikable team full of goobers and they weren't from Marshawn Pitch. <laughs> we would not be talking about this. Um, I was going to say, though, did you guys uh, watch that video of like, Marshawn Lynch like hyping up like Travis Homer on the sideline? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, um, I mean, I'm, I'm coming around to Homer, especially given how gross this like running back slate is. Like, my only big worry here, the only thing the Eagles defense is actually good at is stopping the run. Like, that's like mm-hmm. the only thing. That's the only thing they can do. Like, they just cannot cover scrub wide receivers. But like, you can be a generational talent at running back and just get you know, completely destroyed. I mean, I like Homer too. I have him in one of these lineups I made. Uh, the the play on Lynch is just for the touchdown upside, which uh i think is is more important in a contest like this where you're going for the uh your you know your first or first or you uh you don't even enter basically but um you know so yeah i don't know yeah and it's kind of you're trying to make uh you don't have a lot of what am i trying to say it's like a shorter time horizon so well, here's why I'm not going to let you off the hook on this one, Blair. If I looked <laughs> at your lineups and you had Lynch as one of your two running backs, I would be like, all right, it's gross. He's chasing this. But you have him in your flex, Blair. <laughs> you are playing it over Metcalf and Lockett, who have uh, you know equal, uh, if not better, touchdown expectation, better matchup, more upside. I mean, I can't let you off the hook for that. Yeah, well, I mean uh... – you're right. I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Um, That's why I build these these dummy lineups so that we can deconstruct the them and make them better. You've got Aaron Jones in this lineup, so you could pivot to Devontae Adams and uh, you know use that to use and the Marshawn Lynch as an Lynch. excuse there to you that. Go. Yeah, All right, perfect. 
Yeah, I love it. Definitely, I, love I should it. not have put Lynch in a Faye Lamar Jackson and, lineup. And, and then you could name this one Skittles, <laughs> Skittles and Kittles. There you go, Blair. <laughs> oh, this is such a good lineup. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I, I just want to say, Pete, we haven't done this in a while, but I think we need to bring back the the challenge John Paulson here and, and maybe uh-huh. get a little beef with you and him started because he has Marshawn Lynch projected for 20.9 fantasy points in his uh, his holds. I forget what he named him exactly. His uh, draft and hold rankings. Yeah. So this is basically designed for this. So he's got him at 20.9 and Travis Homer at 10.5. I mean – Paulson has historically been slow, you know, to realize the true <laughs> talent in a backfield. I think maybe Paulson's just been watching run through a motherfucker's face on loop and uh, <laughs> is not making his light-up decisions accordingly. Although we should say he uh, he has DK Metcalf and Lockett uh, well ahead of of Marshawn. But yeah, maybe Paulson maybe doesn't have don't, Travis. Don't play well. Marshawn Lynch in the flex. Say at least that much. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it is pretty absurd to look at these rankings and see Marshawn Lynch ahead of A.J. Brown. I mean, that's pretty gross. Um, I was just going to say, given that, like, everyone seems, I mean, not just everyone. So, like, the spread for this game opened Seattle as, like, a, a, a field goal road dogs. And they immediately flipped to being a favorite. And we were, you know, you expected, like, the... Uh, they would have just continued being a heavier favorite. But it seems like money's coming in now on the Eagles to where the spread has contracted from minus two and a half, almost a field goal to minus one and a half. Um, so it seems like there seems to be some kind of reverse line movement going on. If that does uh, anything for either of you guys. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah, I just feel like, uh, I don't think I'm smart enough to guess right. Who's going to win. And so I'm just going to, in- more interested in playing it from the the leverage spots but i don't know do you guys have a a football take on on who you want to back um i mean one thing i'm thinking when i'm putting these lineups together is to try not to have two skill position players from you know two wild card teams facing each other right Uh, and i don't know if i mean you know it seems like it caps your upside a little bit i don't know how big a deal that is but so like i wouldn't play Sanders and Metcalf in the same lineup, for instance. Yeah, I would say if you're going to do that, then you really need to fade like Green Bay, for example, yeah. mm. because there's the potential for Green Bay to also only play one game. So if you get if you can correctly identify a shootout in the first round and get mm-hmm. a skill position player, one on each side, and then correctly identify a team that's going to lose that had a buy. So in the yeah. second round, a team that got a buy and lose. Then, like that's that's just as good a strategy as uh, you know making sure that you don't have two skill position players in the first round. But I think it's it, it's suboptimal if you're not fading one of the bye week teams. Right, and I think that is actually an interesting segue to our next team, the Minnesota Vikings. Because correct me if I'm wrong, but if the Saints win, they will go to Green Bay. Correct. So mm-hmm. that's right. If you were you know, everyone's going to have Saints. And if you were fading Green Bay, then by that logic, Pat, uh, a Viking might be kind of intriguing by if you're hoping for that shootout game in the Dome as a one and done. Yeah, like if you want to play Dalvin Cook, you really probably should fade Green Bay. Yeah. Um, or again, you could fade someone else. Um, you know, you could fade Kansas City or something like that. But you should figure out that you're taking a stand when someone else is not going to play one game because because you're losing a skill position player otherwise. 
but yeah, so if we're just looking at the Vikings and how people are going to play that, uh, I think that, again, the chalk will be the full fade. Um, they're yeah. the biggest underdog, road underdog, touchdown plus road underdog. I mean, it, it doesn't feel great to throw them in, but we've talked about it a million times. Running back's really gross. It's going to feel okay to say, you know what, dome game, this could shoot out. Dalvin Cook's an absolute stud. Um, he's looking healthy. Uh, I don't think there's going to be too much concern about him not getting a full workload. So I have him just behind Minnesota fade. I've got Minnesota fade projected at 45% and Dalvin Cook projected at 41%. I don't think that Minnesota defense will be a popular play because, again, they're going to be on the road in the dome. And I don't think that uh, the kicker will be all that popular play either. So it's a weird scenario where I think the chalk will be a full fade of Minnesota. But overall, including the soft fades, there's probably less than half the field um, that's going to own a skill position player, but it'll be close to half. So like I have it right now, 47, basically 48% of the field will own a Minnesota skill position player. Almost all of those will be on Dalvin Cook, but Stefan Diggs will get some ownership as well. Uh 538 only gives them a 23% chance of, of playing more than one game. So you're really, really betting on that to be a shootout if you take a Minnesota uh, skill position player or a, you know, a very small percent chance that they go ahead and, and beat the Saints. Yeah, uh, and you mentioned Dan Bailey as maybe the galaxy brain fade. My only concern, or fade, uh, pivot, my only concern about that is just because it is such a large spread. You know, you see teams that get down big and they don't really have the luxury of kicking field goals. Uh, so I worry a little bit about like what script can Bailey, you know, get a decent amount of points. But I believe in the winning lineup last year, the kicker had one point. So maybe it's a moot point and it's just opens you up from a roster construction standpoint uh how about our our rotoviz guys i anyone want to cape up for uh stefan diggs here yeah i kind of do uh i think uh you know because of how gross running back is i wouldn't be surprised if cook's ownership pushed 50 percent or even got above maybe so i mean diggs is a nice pivot off him i think uh, in the case of a shootout, you could have Diggs score a lot of points. Even if they lose, he could still put up a usable score for you. And uh, even if they don't get another game, you'd still be happy with his production. Um, you know, the difficulty, I think, comes in if you want to play Diggs. You know, you either are just betting on a shootout or you're hoping for a Minnesota victory, in which case you're probably fading the Saints altogether either with a soft fade or you know hard fade and not playing them at all which becomes really difficult um because of uh, i mean just how attractive michael thomas and Kamara are so um that's probably the the thing that keeps me from wanting to play digs uh i have almost no interest in dalvin cook at the ownership he's going to bring and with such a low um possibility of them moving on but Diggs, I think you can make a case for. It's just hard to know what to do with the Saints then. How about this for a little narrative street? I just had a flashback in my head, and I had to pull it up. Pro Football Reference, 2011, wild card game, big underdog on the road in New Orleans in the Dome. A receiver you guys might know goes 12 for 211 yards and two TDs as his team gets bounced. His first ever playoff appearance. Do you know who I'm referencing? 
2011. Greg Ward Jr. <laughs> no, Calvin Johnson. Uh, um, but I guess more to illustrate the point of we can uh, have a, the dome, as we know, uh, facilitates the massive games. And, and Diggs and Thielen are, are always you know likely to to pop off in some spots. To, Hassan, do you want to get in the weeds on the, the Lattimore issue? I know some people are getting a little scared off of Diggs because of him. Yeah, uh, wide receiver cornerback matchups don't matter. Okay, there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I am intrigued uh, just by the way Pat laid it out here, too, of Diggs is a really nice leverage play on Cook and the Minnesota fade, and it lines up really nicely with the Green Bay fade. Uh, I think that's uh, a construction I'm going to want to take in a few lineups the more I think about it. How about you, Pat? Yeah, I think that the Vikings full fade is some chalk I want to eat um, yeah. because the soft fades are going to be pretty low owned Yeah, that the, like when you actually look at the percentage of the field rostering a Minnesota skill player, it's going to be a lot higher. I have it is like 25 percentage points higher than their chance of playing two games. So now you're like really betting on a shootout and you could combine the green Bay fade with, with a different shootout of your choosing. So, um, I don't necessarily know that I want to count on Minnesota bringing it. Mm. Uh, they scare me a bit, um, and I don't feel that we have to choose that as the shootout. We could potentially, we could choose um, the Eagles and the Seahawks as a shootout, which would be kind of an unpopular thing to do, and that would give you, I think, more leverage. Um, although Diggs certainly would provide leverage in a shootout as well. So I, I think Diggs, there's definitely a case to be made. I'm in agreement with you guys. I, I don't really have any interest in cook i think it's the wrong way to play the game um digs is the right way to play it if you do go with like thomas and digs and then a green bay fade i think that's i think i definitely do think that's in play yeah um let's move on here we got three more teams uh the tennessee titans only three percent odds uh i don't know if you guys checked your calendar it is no longer dehember but i am told it is january these are things to consider Pat, uh, set the table here with one of the highest uh, projected owned guys on the slate. Yeah, so like the case for Henry is basically the case for Dalvin Cook, but there's more excitement for the Titans. So everyone pretty much agrees that the Vikings are going to lose, um, which you know maybe is also one reason you could go against it and pick Diggs. But people are a little bit excited that the Titans are going to take the Patriots on here. After they look so good, the Patriots look so bad. So, uh, and again, running back, there's not that many great options. And Henry has been—he's been such a monster. So, it's gonna be—he's an exciting guy to get into your lineup. Um, I think he's gonna end up being very, very chalky. I have him at 63% ownership. Um, Hassan, you actually have him up at 68. Pete, you had him at 65. Blair was a little lower, but uh, we, yeah, we all basically think he's gonna be chalky to super chalky um and he's someone i'm very comfortable fading i think we talked about this earlier when new england was brought up but new england is going to be someone that goes under owned in terms of the skill position players i think tennessee right now i have them projected for uh 75 of the field owning a titan skill position player almost all that being henry but they only have a 31 percent chance of beating the Patriots according to 538. So that's the biggest difference on the field in either direction, which basically 
puts Titans kind of as the the most likely donkey play on on the entire slate. Should probably fade them. A lot of people won't, um, and it makes Henry, I think, the clear fade as well. I could maybe get talked into uh, doing a soft fade of the Titans. I think that's totally fine. And then AJ Brown is a little bit interesting, although he has some of the same problems uh, as Henry. And then I don't think the the round one game will be a shootout, and you're then you're burning, you know, a, a valuable player if they don't advance, which they're unlikely to. Yeah, I uh, I agree completely. Uh, the Derrick Henry stuff. I mean, it's it he wins the rushing title with like a walk off touchdown you know it's what everyone has implanted in their head combined with the patriots losing at home to the dolphins it's just this perfect storm running back is a gross slate here henry's going to be massively owned and massively over owned in my opinion almost all of my builds right now have a full tennessee fade uh i haven't even messed around with looking at like the kickers uh in defense here uh is anyone else thinking about uh, dipping their toes in the Tennessee waters? Yeah, so I have A.J. Brown in a couple of the lineups I put together. And, um, I mean, I might rethink that just because I want to get some Patriots skill position players into lineups. So I don't know that A.J. Brown makes a ton of sense. Um, but, uh, yeah. I don't know. I like him, so I wanted to put him in some lineups. Um, yeah, it's hard really to justify playing playing a lot of Tennessee guys. I have no interest in Derrick Henry whatsoever. Um, so, yeah. Hassan, from the man who brought us wide receiver, cornerback matchups don't matter. Do you want to get in the mind of a Bill Belichick? Is he going to double A.J. Brown uh, and sell out to stop Derrick Henry. I have been told over the years that he takes away your top options. Um, yeah, that's it's, it's very exciting. Stephen Gilmore was dog-walked by Devontae Parker. <laughs> and the last time I checked, I think um, A.J. Brown's a little bit better than uh, than, than, than Devontae Parker. Just I need someone to confirm, though. I'll confirm. Uh, um this game could legitimately end with Gilmore's kids calling AJ Brown dad. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's an all time Hassan moment right there. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> so, sorry. Right, but wait, hang on, hang on. You're welcome. I want to jump in. So, we got, I mean, if the Titans, all right, if you're taking a Titans skill position player, <laughs> you need them to go for, for two games because the Patriots are not going to play this as a shootout. So they, if they win, they go to Baltimore, the sixth seed. That does also does not set up as a huge passing day for A.J. Brown. I think, I mean, I, I'm not arguing for playing Henry. I'm basically saying I think the full fate of Tennessee is a much better play than A.J. Brown. Um, don't, like, are you not concerned about that either? It, it just seems to me if the, if the Titans do advance, it's through Henry. Pat, uh, it sounds like your projections don't include a man adopting another man's children. <laughs> no, 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 no. The, 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 the children are going to look at their own dad in disgust and just be like, he's our dad now. <laughs> okay, so That's not even... It's, it's uh, not emancipation. Even the no, yeah, they, they just, they, he's going to be like... They, they, they're going to demand to FaceTime AJ Brown every weekend. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but to... <laughs> to what you mentioned, Pat, like uh, like part of what AJ Brown has been doing and like really the way this Titans team has been winning, it's been like 
beating inferior opponents with not a lot of passing volume. And I just really don't see how you do that against, especially as a road team against New England, who, and again, I, I, we've heard a lot of, you know, talk being made about like Brady's arm is like shot and this, that, and the other. But part of it is also like, he was pretty much uncorking it on the Dolphins and and the the Titans team for as uh, quote unquote strong as your defense looks like, they have been gashed through the air. So so this is one where wherein if if the Titans are going to try and actually run with the Patriots, it's not going to end as well as as it should. I mean AJ Brown will put put up a field day there, but that's like the only scenario in which I can see that happening. I mean like the only like galaxy true galaxy brain pivot is probably Jonu Smith. Uh, de- the bats for Derrick Henry to have more of a floor game or even like a, a basement game, it, it's pretty up there, like it, in my opinion. Like, like, like again, this is a team that um, can win in a bunch of different ways, and I, I do think that I'm on board with fading both <laughs> six seeds as they're playing against offenses that are pretty strong. If that makes sense, I think that, that would be like my preferred method of playing these on the wild card. All right, let's uh, keep this moving along since we're already running uh, mega deep right now. Buffalo Bills, Vegas odds, 3% chance to win playing in the Dome at Houston. Pat, what you got? Again, the chalk will be the Bills' fade. Um, No one's going to, you know, shed too many tears about fade in this team. Not exactly a potent offense, but um, I think Devin Singletary is going to end up being pretty highly owned He's someone that, as I kept running the Don't projections, break my heart. It's right. It's one of these things where, as I've done, we've done these for the past few years. And when you first look at the ownership projections, you're like, "Ooh, Devin Singletary, super sharp play." No one's gonna be on him. But then you start building teams, and you realize, man, everything's so much easier if you play Devin Singletary because he's the guy really that allows you to fade Aaron Jones, or you know, you you go Kamara, you go Singletary. Um, or you just have to make one of the weird plays to Damian Williams or most stare, but then you got Singletary and that feels okay. Um, I think a lot of the contrarian guys out there who don't want to play Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry are going to go to Singletary. Right now I have his ownership at 19%, but I think it could get up a bit higher, maybe even as high as like 30% if all the contrarians end up meeting at Singletary. So, I I don't want to end up like I by no means want to end up lock buttoning Singletary. I do definitely want to have some of them. If he's down closer to like between 15 and 20 percent, I think he's a great play. Um, the Bills are probably going to be a team that's about faded correctly. Depending on what odds you look at, they might be a little over faded. 538 has them as a 35 percent chance to advance. And I have them. We, or we all have them projected as a 35 percent um, will be on the the skill player so the only other guy here really worth talking about uh that's not a kicker defense is john brown i think he could end up being a super sharp play hassan you've been really pro uh john brown and pete you're all about singletary so maybe we can get a little uh debate going on that yeah i sent an email about singletary and then hassan hit me with the all caps lock about john brown so i knew (laughs) i knew his business yeah i I agree the singletary thing is interesting uh he is close to a lock button play for me right now again mainly from a roster construction standpoint just to 
why I'm excited about him just in a vacuum. He played 98% of the snaps in week 16. They rested him in week 17. I mean, they are ready to give him the full bell cow role. I really do think he'll be game script dependent uh, here and in any subsequent games. So have no concerns about his role and these basically bell cow running backs, regardless of their game script uh, for wildcard round, are just way over-owned. So basically getting anyone under the sub-Dalvin Cook percentage feels like a win to me. And I will probably be willing to eat it up to, you know, 30%. And I, I assume he's not going to get over that. Uh, I do like John Brown, though, too. It's it's just, again, a roster construction thing. I was asking Hassan, what what running backs are you playing? if you aren't playing uh, Singletary, and that's kind of still where I'm at. Um, kind of because of how unique a play John Brown is, you could probably play Aaron Jones, and then you could probably play James White. Yeah. That's, probably, that, that's probably the way you want. I mean, realistically, the reason you really want John Brown, in my opinion, is because I do think that we're probably actually over-projecting him, even though we've got him in like the low single digits. Like, uh, like this is a team that's going to be traveling to uh, Houston. Uh, it's, it's, it's in a dome. Um, uh, speedy receivers do pretty well in domes, um, and uh, the Houston Texans in particular seem to give up a lot of like just chunk plays to guys in that John Brown archetype. They've, they they got gashed by Hill, T.Y. Hilton, DJ Chark, Tyrell Williams, and even Brashad Perriman and Ted Ginn. Yeah, like so 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 that's the only reason is because like like if you take John Brown. You can afford to eat the Aaron Jones chalk. I don't know if I really want to do that because I'm I'm on board with like 100% Aaron Jones fade. But then, um, that's it, that, but that's where it gets tricky because like in this lineup, which you the way you can attack it is go double tight end or um, uh, you you play two tight ends and you play a wide receiver in the flex as opposed to you know a running back there like most people typically do. Yeah, and and I did make a couple fade Singletary lineups just to rein myself in, and those were the lineups that I did pivot off of one of Kittle or Kelsey and got in Damian Williams or Mostert to pair with James White. But uh, Devin Singletary does just fit my general roster construction that I like, but I, I completely agree John Brown being a smash play. Blair, where are you at with the Bills? Uh... I like Singletary and I like John Brown. Uh, I think getting them both into some lineups is smart. That, that's not possible, Blair. <laughs> uh, yeah. Getting them both into some that's different the lineups. Mega, mega, <laughs> mega mind there from Blair. <laughs> getting them both Play? into the same lineup oh, would no. be would be Blair, an ideal. The, yeah. The poll quote is Blair's like, I like Marshawn Lynch, John Brown, Devin Singletary lineups. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, what I wanted to talk about on Buffalo is a play that I actually don't think maybe is necessary, but I also don't hate it. <laughs> oh don't say Cole Beasley. I'm not saying Cole Beasley. There I'm going to say fade Lamar Jackson, play Josh yeah. Allen. He has, uh, he has upside that his pass catchers don't. So uh, he's also likely to play more than one game. So um, it's not, uh, you know, it's a play nobody will be on that isn't really that gross. The only gross thing is not being able to play Lamar Jackson. Blair, He's not actually likely to play more than one game in terms of the probability. I mean, it's not, uh, it's plausible, but I mean, he's not favored. Yeah. But I would actually like that. That's definitely, oh, I think, the best you know, uh, brain play, I, uh, <laughs> brain play so far. I kind of like that. I was going to say call. the same thing because the one thing we were talking about too, and again, the guy, and I feel bad that I don't have his name pulled up here in his thread. Um, 
actually I'm going to pull it up just while I look so I make sure I have it here. But um, he was talking about, you know, this idea of making sure your quarterbacks can distance themselves from the skill position players. And to me, that really on their own team on their own team. Yeah. And that really narrowed it down. Obviously Lamar is the gold standard for that, but then Russell Wilson and Josh Allen have been the two other guys just kind of batting around in the back of my brain. Uh, And I do just personally like the bills to win this game. And so if you want to script it, And even last year, like we said, the guy won with one mega game from Deshaun Watson. And -hmm. now you get, you know, Josh Allen in a dome versus a pretty bad secondary with weapons we like. I mean, I think there are definitely worse plays at QB. And I I wouldn't mind having having a Josh Allen lineup with you, Blair. All right. Let's do it. Yeah, we we have him at like 1% projected ownership. Um, I wanted to crack. I think, Hassan, you said we have brown in the low single digits but you meant like low teens so we have them i have at 14 percent, and on our average across the four of us is 14 percent as well we but i do think projecting him i with the really at, at, at that amount i agree i actually think we should i think singletary will probably end up in the low 20s i, I mm-hmm. have a 19 he'll probably be more like 23 percent and and brown will probably be closer down to 10 for, do you know for, do you know what i think might be higher um, then we have them. And I mean, granted, I was the highest on this is I think Buffalo defense could be just yeah. one of the plays, you know, there's just the, the thing where play, yeah. the people, people like feeling comfortable with plays in the bills are the one defense that people associate as a good defense that you can justify against the Texans, even on the road. I feel like they could end up commanding even more ownership than we have. That's yes, probably agreed. right. Chicago last year was at 52 percent. Wow. Uh, <laughs> similar similar type of play where you didn't really want a ton of pieces of their offense. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was cool seeing Khalil Mack uh, win the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Should we let's move on to our final team, the Texans, only three percent odds to make the Super Bowl. Very clear chalk play. Um, got some news today that Will Fuller is on the wrong side of questionable, it would seem. Uh, Pat, what is this going to do to Nuke's ownership? Well, it it bodes very well for my Galaxy, or very, very poorly for my Galaxy brain play here, which was <laughs> Will Fuller. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, it's going to bump up Hopkins' ownership to some extent, although I, some of that was baked in. Um, I think part of the reason that Hopkins is going to be chalky in the first place is that people knew they couldn't count on playing Will Fuller, but... Uh, may increase his ownership, Hopkins' ownership even more. I have him projected at 58%. Um, kind of in the middle of where we were. Pete had him at 63. Blair had him lower at 56. Hassan had him at 60. So we're right in the same range here with an average projection of 59%. Um, no one will really be close to that. I think the next uh, thing that will happen is that people will fade this team either by outright fading them, which we I had at 12%, or the soft fades of the defense and the kicker. Uh, which should combine to between like 15 and 20 percent uh, between those two. So the tight or the Texans are like a kind of really easy team. You're either probably playing Hopkins or you're fading them. Fuller's going to be off the board. Uh, Deshaun Watson is maybe a little bit in play. I think he'll be like between probably two and five percent owned. Uh, you could see some like Galaxy Brain pivots to the running backs. Um, those are pretty tough for me to swallow, though. They feel very thin. So, uh, yeah, 
not not the most interesting team here to close it with, but yeah, you got to make a decision of whether or not you're playing Hopkins. I guess you, you know, you could do kind of a play for a shootout if you go with Josh Allen, and then you bring that back with DeAndre Hopkins, um, and then like do a Green Bay fade. I mean, that would be some really contrarian lineup right there. Although you probably actually need to go with the uh, Baltimore fade since that's what I was going to say. Lamar. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm personally been leaning towards uh, a Hopkins fade, uh, and just because I I like Singletary and I like the Bills and I like Fairbairn a lot as the kicker play, especially as the pivot off of the yes. chalk. When I was looking at mm-hmm. optimal kicker stuff, he was popping in those for me. Plus, I just like the fact that it's a a dome. Uh, home uh, kicker too, which I think would bode well for the offense sputtering a little bit, but uh, still having some success there. So yeah, Fairbairn, oddly one of my favorite plays. No, I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm with you 100. I, I I'm with you also on fading DeAndre Hopkins because at this point I think we can quite solidly state that with that news on Will Fuller on the wrong side of questionable, like the three chalkiest wide receivers are Michael Thomas, Edelman, and Nuke, of which only one of the three might just go under-owned even at 70%. Um, I will say in my the depths of despair of looking at running backs, I if I can confess, I have thought uh, about Carlos Hyde for a second, and then I slapped myself and said, <laughs> no, Peter, you can't do it. Uh, but I feel like one of you also mentioned Hyde, so maybe back up my uh, indiscretions. That was uh, that was me. Um, yeah. it, like I mean, like he just got a lot of the the rushing workload, and Duke sees a, a few more targets. But realistically, they just that's just who they, it's been. It's been Carlos Hyde all season. Like he had a thousand yards, the quietest thousand yard season. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But, and before they sat like week 15, 26 carries. Week 16, 17 carries. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. Like it's just it was one of this. The moments where where you're, you're sitting in like week seven and it's like, oh, this is still happening. And but there's and, also and, there's almost no way they win the game if they keep doing that, right? With no Will Fuller. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where that's where it just it's. I mean, like you can just see Bill O'Brien trying to slow this game down and then just getting like boat raced out of the stadium. Man, that guy is just I. It's just such a. This Texans team should be much better than it currently is. Is uh, and we can just leave it at that. I mean, Nuke's ownership is one where I'm fine pivoting to Fairbairn as the soft fade, especially if our scenario uh, has the Bills advancing and we'd want a skill player from there going for two games. Pat, who would be your updated Galaxy Brain play? I think it would would be Carlos Hyde. Yeah. Uh, Paulson has him at 18.8 uh, projected points in uh, in his like rankings for this. Um, Devin Singletary, he has at 19.3. Part of that's due that he he thinks Hyde has a better chance to advance, but I mean, you would say objectively, like he does, based on the you know the current money line and, and that type of stuff. So, I think Hyde is, um, you know, it's easy to see how Hyde outscores Hopkins in, in a one to two game sample uh, through touchdowns, and I don't think it's totally implausible. Um, he could, you know, if they win they'll likely go to KC and you could see them trying to slow that game down, uh, which would be, you know, bode well if you have Carlos Hyde. So, and KC has been bad on the ground against the run this year too. Yeah. So Hyde is probably someone we should really consider, um, as, as gross as that feels, uh, 
I do think that he gives you a pretty decent leverage off a major chalky play in Hopkins. He's on the team that's currently favored. He's at home. He has touchdown upside. Uh, he'll be super low owned. I think he'll probably be maybe. I think we all had him at one percent, but his his uh, ceiling is probably like seven percent ownership or something. Yeah. Like people aren't going to pile on Carlos Hyde. So um, yeah, I think we would be foolish to not consider him. I mean, I built a lineup with Marshawn Lynch, and even I'm having <laughs> trouble getting on board with this. <laughs> wow, wow! It's just a little too mainstream galaxy brain for for Blair. <laughs> Um, all right, guys, this has been uh, very fun. Pat, uh, you did uh, the majority of the legwork and the ownership projection setting on this. Do you have any final words for the people on things that they should consider? I think they have, between your article and this podcast, they have plenty to think about. Not really. I mean, Cliff Notes, take a stand on Philadelphia and Seattle. Uh, consider fading Green Bay, be be. I think Aaron Jones is going to be higher owned than you guys think. I still stand by that. Um, and yeah, you can play for shootout in round one as long as you fade a bye week team. And good luck. All right, Hassan and Blair, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Always fun. All right, and for ship chasing, I'm Peter Overzet. And remember, your lineups should always tell a story. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually quite true in this. You I really know. need them to tell a story. I know. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Fantasy Football Report. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio Podcast channel on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, rotoviz.com/podcast. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.